I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Given John the Baptist's vivid portrayal of the coming Messiah, Luke's description of Jesus' appearance at the River Jordan is positively anticlimactic. The Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus traveled from his hometown to be baptized, and Matthew's Gospel includes a whole conversation between John and Jesus in which John argues that Jesus should baptize him. But Luke, the Gospel that takes two chapters to describe the events surrounding Jesus' birth, barely mentions his immersion in the, in the River Jordan at all. In fact, all we are told is that Jesus' baptism took place with all the people. It seems that Jesus simply got in line with everyone else who decided they needed to make a fresh start in life by getting right with God. That Jesus felt the need to be baptized at all was something of a scandal in the early church. John's baptism is described as a baptism for the, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so the early church found itself asking, well, if Jesus did not sin, which is one thing that we say about Jesus, then why did he choose to be baptized? It's a good question. It seems to me, though, that Jesus used this act to mark a new direction in his life, the end of his life living as a carpenter in a small town, and the beginning of his ministry as a teacher and a healer. I also think that whether he consciously knew it or not, Jesus' baptism was a tangible symbol of the incarnation. Jesus' birth may have been heralded with angel songs, but when it came time for him to be baptized, Jesus got in line with sinners and misfits, Pharisees and tax collectors, with the poor and the rich and everybody in between. He did this because God chose to become one of us, to take on our humanity in all of its brokenness and need, and to participate fully in the highs and the lows of human existence. In other words, Jesus got in line because God loves us. Of course, we have no idea what was actually going on in Jesus' mind at the time, for Luke does not tell us anything that he said. What Luke does tell us is that after his baptism, Jesus prayed. As he had, doubted, has, had undoubtedly done before and had would do over and over again in his ministry, Jesus prayed, opening his mind and heart to God. And in turn, God opened the heavens and the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus, a baptism that would strengthen, guide, and empower him throughout his ministry. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. With those words, grace was poured out as God claimed Jesus, named his beloved, blessed him with affirmation. 
under any other circumstance, under any circumstances, this would be an amazing gift. But consider this. It is a gift given to Jesus before he has done anything. At this point, he has not begun his ministry. He's not worked one miracle, preached one word, or healed one person. All Jesus has done is to offer himself to be baptized and to pray. Yet God affirms him as God's beloved child, worthy of God's blessing. The words that Luke records are reminiscent of those recorded in Isaiah 43, words spoken not to Jesus, but to his people, to the people of Israel who lived long before Jesus' birth. I've called you by name. You are mine. You are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. Those words were spoken in God's name by the prophet Isaiah, spoken to a people living in exile in Babylon, far from their homeland of Israel, a people who were living without hope, convinced that God had abandoned them. And then Isaiah said this, but now, thus says the Lord, do not fear for I have redeemed you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Do not fear, for I am with you. What does it feel like to hear those words? Can you imagine them being spoken to you? Do not fear, for I am with you. The extraordinary thing is that God does say these words to me, to you, to each of us, and all of us. I am with you. And that's not all, for when we are baptized, God also says to each of us and to the whole world, you are my child, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Beloved. Say that word. Beloved. It seems very appropriate for Jesus, the Son of God, to be addressed in this way, and perhaps we too might use that, term, that endearment for our children or grandchildren or maybe for our spouse, but it's not a word with which we would normally describe ourselves. I mentioned that the Wednesday study group is about to start reading Henry Nouwen's, Henri Nouwen's book, Life of the Beloved. In this spiritual classic written to a young friend, Nouwen says, you are the beloved. He points out that this statement runs counter to so many of the voices that we hear, voices that tell us you are no good, you are ugly, you are worthless, you are despicable, you are nothing, you are nobody unless you can prove the opposite. The competitiveness that pervades our society intensifies this experience. Not only are we told that we have to prove our worth, but we also have to prove that our worth is greater than that of others. We compete with others to get into a good school, to get a job, to get decent housing and health care. And if we're poor, we compete for social services, to get a bed at a mission, to receive a handout, to be noticed at all. 
In the same way, we compete, it seems, for the attention, respect, and sometimes the love of others. Yet now and insists, we are the beloved. We are intimately loved long before our parents, teachers, spouses, children, and friends loved or wounded us. That's the truth of our lives. That's the word spoke, the truth spoken by the voice that says, you are the beloved. He goes on. Listening to that voice with great inner attentiveness, I hear at my center words that say, I have called you by name from the very beginning. You are mine and I am yours. You are my beloved, on you my favor rests. I have molded you in the depths of the earth and knitted you together in your mother's womb. I have carved you in the palms of my hands and hidden you in the shadow of my embrace. I look at you with infinite tenderness and care for you with a care more intimate than that of a mother for her children. I have counted every hair on your head and guided you at every step. Wherever you go, I go with you. And wherever you rest, I keep watch. I will give you food that will satisfy all your hunger and drink that will quench all your thirst. I will not hide my face from you. You know me as your own, as I know you as my own. You belong to me. I am your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your lover, and your spouse, yes, even your child. Wherever you are, I will be. Nothing will ever separate us. We are one. This is grace poured out. For this is what God says to you, to each one of you, to us. You don't have to say or do anything to earn this grace. And you can't say or do anything that will cause God to take it back. David Loos writes, baptism, which is the sign of God's love for us, is holy God's work that we may have confidence that no matter how often we fall short or fail, nothing that we do or fail to do can remove the identity that God conveys as a gift. Our relationship with God, that is, is the one relationship in life we can't screw up, precisely because we did not establish it. We can neglect this relationship, we can deny it, run away from it, ignore it, but we cannot destroy it, for God loves us too deeply and completely to ever let us go. And that is true for everyone. Not just for those of us who have grown up in the church and were baptized as children or young adults. God loves all of us, sinners and misfits, business people and politicians, immigrants and native-born, the poor, the rich, and everyone in between. All of us are God's beloved children. How do we respond to such grace? By accepting the gift. And then pouring out ourselves in service. When we are baptized, our lives are dedicated to Christ and his work. God's work becomes ours. 
as Jesus was baptized in preparation for his ministry, so our baptism prepares us to the ministry to which we are called in his name. That's why the vows that we take when we are baptized include these words. We accept the freedom and power that God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. If that sounds intimidating, well, it should be. The verses that were left out of today's passage, you may have known that 18 to 20 weren't included, tell of John the Baptist's arrest by Herod, an event that foreshadows Jesus' own arrest and his death on the cross. When we undergo baptism, we too set ourselves on the way to the cross. But we need not fear. For, when, for like Jesus, we are not just baptized by water in that moment. We are baptized with the Holy Spirit. will strengthen, guide, and empower us along the way. Though following Jesus will bring challenge as well as hope, we are not alone. We are never alone. The grace of God is an ever-flowing stream. It's easy to forget that in the, in the craziness of life, especially in those times when we are struggling, and the way seems pretty murky, and the grace seems pretty short. That's why every year we remember Jesus' baptism, because he had those times too. And that's why we listen again to God's affirming words, you are my child, the beloved, with you I am well pleased, and this is why we come to the font and touch the water and remember that we too have been baptized, that we too are beloved. In a few minutes, as we sing the hymns listed in the bulletin, you who have been baptized are invited to come to the font, not one of three stations, as it said. You just ignore the instructions in the bulletin. I rethought it. Come to the font in the center and touch the water and remember your baptism as I mark the sign of the cross on your forehead. If you have not been baptized, be at peace, for you too are God's beloved child. You can remain in your seat, or you can come forward to receive a blessing. If you'd like to know more about baptism, please let me know. I'd be more than happy to discuss it with you. So let us begin by reaffirming our baptismal vows using the congregational affirmation, reaffirmation of the baptismal covenant that you'll find on the insert in your bulletin.